Blessings. This is Pastor Walter and Maribel Arias welcoming you to the podcast of God of Covenants Christian Center. We hope this time is a blessing for you. Make sure you subscribe to get new messages every week. Enjoy the message and embrace what the Lord has for you. This week's message, titled The Gospel in a Galilean Wedding, by Pastor Walter Arias. Let's listen to the message, and may God bless you. Good God, we give you thanks in this moment for the opportunity to be able to come to this place, to exalt you, to worship you. And Lord, we celebrate this day because you are our dad. And for that, we give you thanks. And thank you for the salvation and for life and for educating us with your word. A lot, continue instrumenting instructing us. And I ask that everyone that is here with their ears awaken and open and clear, Lord, and all that are home, wherever they may be found, that they be a spirit to receive your word and that you give me the boldness by your Holy Spirit to be able to share it as it suits in the name of Jesus. And the whole church says, amen, amen. Very good. The goal of today's teaching is to bring a historical and not and cultural knowledge of a wedding in Galilee in the time of Jesus. And I have as a goal as well that Christ is revealed who has not been revealed and those that Christ has already revealed that they affirmed more in the hearts through the teaching of today, which brings culture, which brings history and which brings a wonderful application. This is a pure gospel and wonderful that we're going to listen in this morning. In the end that this teaching can illuminate you. The word has been revealed. What we need is to have the interpretation and the illumination of the word that our understanding can open so that we can apply it correctly. And as such, we can then enrich ourselves. In today's study, or when we study the word of God, we find ourselves, when we study the word, we find with different cultures. We find ourselves with a Hebrew culture, a Babylonian culture, a Syrian uh, culture, Persian culture, a Roman culture, a Greek culture. The Bible is very rich in cultures because the Bible is written in a context of great times and a period of time that is great and some advanced civilizations and of a lot of territory. And as such, when we read the Bible, we notice of Babylonian, of Persia, of Assyrians, of Hebrews, of course, which is the selected and chosen people of God. So we could read it there and we're going to see the Bible enriches you. The Bible brings you a story or history and culture of each and every one and the gospel of salvation. Listen good. The gospel of salvation the gospel of Jesus Christ that we preach, we find it in a beautiful figure, which is a wedding in Galilee. So culturally, the weddings in the region of Galilee was different from the weddings in culture, from the weddings of other parts of the people of Israel, of the 12 tribes. And of course, they made it differently. And if you compared it with a culture of Egypt or Babylonian or from Persia. This region of Galilee is rich in history. The Gospels 
it was there in that section because Jesus is Galilea. The disciples were from Galilea. We find the Sea of Galilee, the miraculous uh, fishing in Galilee. So when we see in the gospel, we notice that's in, in a context that's historical and in a context geographical and specific. That portion that we speak or the majority of the gospel is in the region of Galilee as such. The Bible speaks of figures, for an example, like construction. It says that that we're living stones and that Christ is the cornerstone. And each one watch how they edify. And the Bible, to reveal himself in the Bible, he takes context. He takes cultural context. In the Word of God, we see that Jesus uses many teachings that have to do with, with agriculture. That's why he speaks of the pastor and the sheep and also the sower. All, that's cultural riches. That's history of this region and specifically there in Galilee. It's also speaking of a context of matrimony. The figure of matrimony is used by God to speak of the vision of God with his church. First, the relationship with God, God Almighty, when he takes a people in grace, which is the Hebrew people. Remember there that they were chosen out of all the cultures in the land as the chosen people. And he says, I'm your beloved. He's speaking to the people of Israel as his people, as his beloved. So it's a figure of matrimony. So the Lord Jesus speaks that he being the beloved and we who have accepted Jesus Christ were the church of the Lord. All of what is the gospel that we preach has to do with Christ that gave himself for love for us as a church that we separate ourselves for the Lord because we surrender our heart to him. And it also has to do with the return of Christ for his church. That's the complete gospel that we preach. Not only do we preach the love of God that Christ came, not only do we preach that Christ died on the cross and he resurrected, but we also preach that Jesus is to return and take note of that very clearly because the hope of the church is the return of Jesus Christ for it. It's the return for us, for those that are alive in that moment, or if we've died, first the dead, then the living. That's the complete gospel. It's not a question of when or when Jesus is coming because the people get mistaken continually, especially in this season that was so much chaos, so much misinformation, so much nervousness, and that the end of the world, that this, and when is it going to be, that almost, that the conspiracy, that this, and look at the government, the Antichrist, that we start to take account. So all of this is not what God invites in His Word. God, what He is saying, I'm going to return. But he says, don't get involved in the time, but just get in that if you're prepared or not for his return. That is the gospel that we preach. And I'm going to speak then. Today's uh, topic has a title, The Gospel in a Galilean Wedding. Beautiful and precious, but please take notes. I hope that you receive it and that God may bless you and fill your hearts. Inflate your heart with joy. The gospel in a Galilean wedding. And we're going to speak of three things. A legal commitment. That's the first thing that we're going to be seeing. Then secondly, a time of waiting. And then thirdly, 
the return for the bride. Allow me. I'm going to running, teaching about the Hebrew marriage, the details, the majority of details that I can, and then I'm going to return to start giving all the applications, because the Hebrew wedding written there, or the weddings that that took place in Galilee specifically, have in the end to show of those people in that time and us, how is the relationship of God with us, his church. So then, let us get in a little bit of what is the first point, a legal commitment. A legal commitment. Remember that we're speaking about literally a wedding, so it's a legal commitment. Marriage in the Galilee region consisted of two parts, two stages. The first is the kiddushin, kiddushin, which means depository or commitment. In other words, it was a pre-agreement or arrangement. And the second part is the nisuin, which was the wedding as such, the marriage, that was the ceremony. So so it was a courtship that was going towards marriage. So they had first a prearrangement, which is kidusin, and then came what was the celebration, the consummation of that commitment that they made previously, and that's called nisuin. This were two different things in the Hebrew culture. One was the commitment, the formality of initiating. I'm separating you from me and I'm going to guard myself, keep myself for you. And the other would then wait for a year. So that commitment, legal commitment would then be consumed. And this would be done before authorities and witnesses. It was an agreement between two families. And there's something very interesting is that they had to have some in some people that were intermediaries. The groom and his father would choose a woman from such a family and they would make an accordance with that family to separate that uh, woman from my son. I want my son to marry that woman that has a great sense. They want to conserve the lineage, the family, the clans, like a clan, and they want to conserve themselves in traditions and in purity. So the father of the bridegroom would chose, or the father of the bride would say, but they would look for a friend, and the friend of the groom, the, fr- the friend of the bridegroom, would go and would negotiate so we could understand with the other family. To speak of who? Of the woman. That family would then have a friend of the woman and they would negotiate between two. There was two intermediary friends. Why? Because the bridegroom was in one place and the bride was in another. And they had to go to stipulate some family things to see if we can then achieve to join these two families. It's something wonderful. And let us see if we can join them. And that's where that's where the friend the figure of the friend comes and the friend would also prepare that way for that bridegroom the friend was the one that would go and negotiate to see if they were interested in in that his friend the bridegroom would be able to be the bride her bridegroom all that was done with anticipation and the bride would accept the bible speaks as a rebecca that we will talk in another preaching 
that had to agree in the uh, Old Testament to see if she accepted the groom that they were presenting. So the bride would have to accept. She understood. She knew she could reject that bridegroom that they were presenting to that that other family wants to bring. She was able to reject that. She could accept it. She could reject it. We call that free will there. And the bride, if she passed, if she accepted that bridegroom and she accepted to get married with him, then she would go through a tevilah, that's a Hebrew word, tevilah, which is a ritual bath of purification. The tevilah, there's different types of tevilah that are for the purification of the woman after the menstrual cycle, seven days after they would uh, purify themselves and others would do it. Men would also do it to sanctify themselves. Some once a year, some would do it daily. But the girl here, if she accepted that young man as her bridegroom for the one promise, so she would do this ritual of purification, which was signifying separating, saying, I'm separating myself for him, for that young man, and washing myself in that ritual, I then make myself that I'm going to keep myself for him. Are you learning the the culture of Galilee? I hope so. I, I, I rejoice with this. And the bridegroom, listen up, when he, the family would come, the friend of the bridegroom already, the value, the value that they were going to pay, um, to the other family for the girl the two families would come together and then the bridegroom had to in a type of uh, ceremony it was there was a type of feast and in that moment that they were together and the bridegroom would then give her a cup of wine and if she would take that cup if she would accept it and drank from it she was then giving her consent, not only of the ritual of the tevilah and the waters, but then by also taking that cup of wine. And with that, she's saying, I accept this young man as my future husband. Are you understanding? Are you with me? I hope that you're understanding. Very good. A, a contract was read and the sign and the contract was signed. The father of the bridegroom would would pay the betroth to give the security that that girl was going to guard herself or keep herself for the young man but in case that something happens to my son in that time of absence so that way they could sustain that bride in case there was a calamity or something like that and and that was a commitment whether it was money or it could be something that was of value and and there was no date determined we came to an agreement that that my son gets engaged with your daughter very good we do all this that we mentioned but there's no date we don't put any date and there we spoke of what is then the commitment the legal commitment but then comes which is a time of waiting and then once they have signed, once the girl has taken from that cup the ritual of tevila of purification, she has to keep herself and the young person has to leave. And it's a time of six months to a year so that matrimony then happens. 
so that that matrimony can be established in the second stage. So in the second stage, the wait is for everybody, for the bridegroom, for the bride, for the family of the bride, and of course the father of the bridegroom. Are you with me? For the friends, for all the people. Only the father knew, the father of the bridegroom knew the date indicated so that the young person can go for that girl six or seven months or a year. Only the father of the bridegroom would make the decision to say at what time and when it's going to be, when the wedding is going to be now the celebration, the final celebration. Can you imagine the young person waiting? Can you imagine the girl waiting anxiously, the whole family, everybody biting their nails perhaps? When is it going to be? Tomorrow? Maybe the next day? When will it be? Because they lived in in places that were distant from one another. So then there, the bride, in that time of waiting, had to dress in a different way. She, from then on, in the moment that she accepted the commitment and she took of that cup of wine, she was to say engaged and she started to use a clothing or garments that was differently that would identify her in her community as a girl or a woman that is separated for a man that was going to take her as a legitimate wife are you with me are you receiving very good is someone learning yes glory to god this is very important to understand this so that bride was going to dress herself as like she was committed with her garments of commitment she did all her things with that dress of commitment and nobody else would look at her because they knew that she was committed to someone else her friends and family all were going to be in expectation and they were going to be waiting and the bridegroom committed they signed and because he gave the cup he had to go with his father back to his father's house to wait till the father would give the date. That bridegroom also would go, but he was also doing something very important because the clans in Galilee, the patriarch, there was a man, he had a great family, and the children that were getting married, they had to go adding a woman from outside so that if they had five sons, this son's going to get married, you have to bring a girl to come and join my clan. Are you with me? Very good. So the young person would go with his Father, he didn't know the date. The father didn't reveal to no one. They would go home, but something would happen. Is that that young person was starting to work in the house of his father and adding a, another room because he was now bringing his future wife or to organize a room and to put it well, to bring her in the moment that the father says, now is the hour. Are you... So the time passes, six months, a year, and here is where we go to the time of returning. Almost like the preaching is here. And then I'm going to give you the biblical context of everything. So the return for the bride. So the father would dictate the date that he would reveal to the son in a moment. The time to go for the bride would be at night. In the time of night. And the father perhaps would come in a moment and determine six, seven, nine months, a year. And the young person didn't have that anxiety anymore. He was relaxed and confident that this was going to be like this, that there was going to be a wedding. And one day he would wake up and say, it's time. Let us go for that girl. So they would get up. The young person would go, would get their lamps and the friends of the uh, young person. And they would take a shofar, which is a horn. And which is a trumpet 
and they would be sounding the shofar and they would go to the region, to the neighborhood at night, listen well, where all the people are sleeping, sounding that trumpet and the groom and the bride because she was dressed and prepared. Are you with me? Dressed and prepared so she could come out. The bride had her friends at time because that's how the culture was. Men with men and women with women. So she had her female friends and every person that was going to go to the house of the father to celebrate of that marriage, they had to have their own lamp. And with sufficient oil because that was the culture. Nobody can join the caravan if they didn't have their own lamp in their hand. It's not, oh, show me because I'll go with you. No. The culture. If you want to participate, you have to have your own lamp. So the young man sounding the shofar, the trumpet, the girl would come out and something wonderful would happen. The young people, the friends, the friend of the bridegroom and his friends would go with a type of chair and they would put it on the side of the bride's house and the bride would come out with her dress and she would sit down and they would lift it up and they would take it on their shoulders and a feast. That's why I don't know if you've seen the Jewish weddings and celebration. They lift up the bride and they start to dance because it comes from that culture. They would take the bride uh, all the way to the house of the bridegroom's father. And all the way, people coming, and always when they had, what? A lamp with oil. Once, they would get to the house. Then the ceremony, the wedding, the feast. But once they arrived and they got together, they would close the door. And they no one would enter, no one else. Not even for a medical excuse or for that or for this. No one would enter. It was as, that's how the culture was a firm culture and stable culture. They would close it and the people could not. So those that were outside, they felt bad because they could do it, but they didn't get a time. They didn't wake up early. They were not prepared. So there, they would open up the Hebrew uh, weddings in Galilee. They lasted about seven days. Seven days. A good feast. <laughs> All of that that I've told you, has disappeared with the humanity's history. For the 12th century, the two parts, which was the commitment, first, the kiddushin, and the other was the, which was the ceremony as such, that's kind of disappeared. Where, where the, that, that, in that feast, that engagement was consumed then into a wedding, and now they do it in just one, and from the 12th century, because it's very costly to feast. So they said, you know, let's do this just one time. And you start losing the figure. And then once you lose the figure, we can lose what serves as a basis to understand the gospel of Jesus. I ask you a question in this moment. Have you learned something about the culture today? Have you received something? Then lift, lift up your hands. And from your house... Lift up your hands. Excellent. Now let's give you the application if God allows us. So let us go like the good movies. We're going to go back. Let's go back. Remember that the wedding was about, about two parts. And I'm going to get into the legal commitment again. So this marriage in the region of Galilee, 
the gospel of Jesus shows us. There in the Kiddushin, which is the depository or commitment, there's a pre-agreement, yes? Before authorities, before witnesses, there's two families, and there's some friends. Do you remember the friends? The inter... Mediary friends that the bridegroom would go and negotiate about that uh, for that woman with the friend of that bride and that is very important in the gospel of Jesus and I want you to go the gospel of John in chapter 3 verse 28 to 30 I'm going to bring you light this word is going to bring you light I think that is going to encase many points that you have in your mind it's going to join it. John chapter 3, verses 28 to 30 says, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. This is referring to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the one speaking here. Verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, underline that, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. The friend had to had a, partic- a great participation in that wedding of Galilee because the friend was the one that negotiated that, the one that went to the other family and stalked uh, and, and go to convince them that it was the correct marriage for that young girl. John the Baptist did th- play that role. John the Baptist was sent by God, by Jesus. He says that he was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. John the Baptist, they said, are you the Christ? And he says, I'm not the Christ. I'm only a voice that cries out in the wilderness to straighten the path for him because I'm the friend, but I am not the Christ. Isn't this very interesting? This figure of the gospel here. Remember that the bride had to accept the bride, even though she was chosen, she had to make a final or final decision. The bride could say yes or no. They have already seen her. They've already, the father of the family has chosen her. That young person, I like that. She has a good behavior. Her family, I like. They have already looked at her, but the young person was not obligated in the end. Even though it was 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, she makes a decision. The word of God in John 1, verse 11 to 12, says the following. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. The decision is ours. Do we accept that the Father is calling us to be the bride of the Son, Jesus Christ? Do you accept him where you are? Have you accepted him? Have you accepted him? Have you understood it? Or perhaps today you're understanding that the same Father has seen you with love, with eternal love, and he's seen you, yes, and he's seen you with things, yes, but I want to choose you so that you could be the bride of my Son, Jesus Christ, the church of the Lord. How many can say amen? The bride, remember that she had to go through Tevila, which was when she accepted that commitment that she said yes, she would do a ritual bath of purification. In other words, 
you're going to see the figure here. Mark chapter 16, verse 16 says that when we believe, when we accept Jesus Christ, look what happens. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. There's people that to leave baptism outside of the equation that God and his sovereignty that he instituted when Christ is revealed to the heart of a person there's a second step which is a commitment of tevila which is to say I I'm going to sanctify myself I'm going to I do this ritual to bathe myself to say that I separate myself from him baptism is an identification with Christ in his death his burial and resurrection we understand that we're sinners we identify with the sin because Christ died for sins and we understand that Christ was buried we go to the baptismal waters to be buried together with him but then Christ resurrected so we come out of the waters to identify ourselves with Christ with his resurrection this is a gospel that is very powerful baptism is part of this ritual baptism is part of this calling baptism is part of this equation some want to leave the baptism outside and they don't give a connotation or importance but it is important remember that the bridegroom would offer a cup of wine so that she could accept or reject in that feast in that in that pre-arrangement or pre-agreement the young man the bridegroom would take out a cup and he would drink and would come close to the young girl with it and if she would take that cup and would drink from it she was accepting that commitment she was accepting this is my beloved I'm going to be with him with this one I stay with and with this I separate myself from him that cup is what it represents now look at what Matthew chapter 26 verse 26 to 29 says and as they were eating Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said what did he say take eat this is my body then he took what the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying drink from it all of you in other words, the disciples didn't have a problem with understanding what was happening because the disciples were from Galilee. They were from Galilee and they understood all these figures of matrimony. They understood that Christ was making a proposal. Christ came for them. Christ came to enamor them. You're going to commitment with them. I'm your Christ. You're my disciples. Because if you make a commitment, then take this cup as a pact, as a covenant that I am for you and you are for me. Verse 28. For this is my blood of the new what? Covenant. Which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you. I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on. Until that day when I drink it. New with you. In my father's kingdom. So here I'm offering you this cup. Do you take it? Do you get committed with me? Because I'm going to have to go. But I'm with the commitment. And are you? Are you with the commitment? That's what he's saying to the bride. And that's what Jesus does with us. And then uh, 
contract was read and signed. Remember that the groom's father paid dowries, some dowries, some money. He would take a financial resource. The family of the groom would come and they would uh, go to that uh, girl's family. There was an agreement of how much money that they would give to the other family. Not buying her as such, so you don't see that type of figure there. But yes, to be able to give her a security that if something was to happen to the bridegroom, she would be covered. And in his absence, she would still be protected. What a beauty of what happened there in those weddings and in the gospel. Then please go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 to 22. And the word of God says there, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us in God, who also has sealed, what? Sealed us, say it, are you with me? Has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Once we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is given to us. It's an advance payment. It's a guarantee. The Church of the Lord has a guarantee, has a richest nine spiritual gifts for the Church. Give that glory to He who lives. Blessed be the Lord. Amen. What a beautiful gospel in this wedding. And the Holy Spirit was given to us. He that joins us. And Jesus says, I'm going, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send you the other one. The comforter. The one that will be with you. The one that will give you security and confidence. The one that's going to comfort you. Because that money for that family represented a confidence, a security. That money, that property or that object of value was an object of security. And Christ doesn't do anything different. Who he takes as son, he gives him the Holy Spirit as an advance payment. I'm leaving, but you know what? The Holy Spirit, my spirit is going to be in your heart so that it will be with you all the days. Blessed be the Lord. How many of us can give glory to God for that? Amen? Now, go read at home in those. Open up Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed, what? Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14. Read it in a loud voice if you can. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit guarantee of Christ Jesus for his church. He says, I leave you the guarantee. It's the guarantee the Father leaves with us. And John chapter 14, verses 15 to 17 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Bible ratifying this, that dowry, a security, the advance payment, you are never as a child or uh, God feel that God is not with you. You have a seal from the Holy Spirit. There's something that was paid and something given for you and for me. And it's the spirit that is with us in our hearts to all of us that believe in Christ Jesus as our bridegroom and our beloved. Give that glory to God. Amen. Clap those hands if you're going to clap. Clap them loud. Praise Jesus. 
And there's the pre-agreement. So then let us go to the time of waiting, the second point. Remember that the time of waiting was going to be for everyone, for the father of the bridegroom, for the family of the bridegroom, for the bride, for the family of the bride, for the friends, everyone. It was a time of waiting. And that time of waiting... In Matthew 25, 13, the Word of God says to us, Watch, therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. That time of waiting, the young man will go with his family and the bride will go to her house. But then there, that young person had to be watchful, the, the bride. And, uh, and what is it? To be vigilant, to be observant. Look, and from when? For what? What is to watch? To live a life in a way that honors the commitment that I received, that I made when I took the cup. When we make and take the Lord's Supper, and when we go into the water, the baptismal waters, having accepted as a testimony before the people, before heaven, that Jesus is our Lord, we're called to seek holiness in us, as the Bible says, because without it, we will not see the Lord. The bride was going to dress herself of that engagement garment, that bride that is separated. And there in Isaiah song, Isaiah 61.10, there's a song there. And you know what it says? I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. And I will rejoice in your presence, Lord, with all my strength. I would scream, hey, I would rejoice in your presence, oh God. With all my strength, I would scream and shout. And before you, with joy, I will dance. With a happy dance, I will celebrate and I will sing and I will rejoice. Do you understand that song now of what they're speaking of? Is it coming to your heart so that the day that we sing it here, you can do it with all understanding now that is a dance of the bride before her bridegroom, that she has dressed with fine linen and that we have to conserve ourselves while we're on this earth until we're taken from this earth. That bride had to be ready for the return of her bridegroom. Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The friends and family would be in an expectation. They would be waiting. The bridegroom that is engaged would go to the father's house. You became engaged already now with me to the bride. We signed the contract. You made the ritual of purification. You drank from the cup. I paid the dowries. I leave you the blessing. I leave you the advance payment. Now I go with my father. Remember, we're speaking of the time of waiting. When Jesus dies on the cross on Calvary, there was a time of waiting that started. Simple. Like that. Jesus is with his disciples. And the time that he's with his disciples, the disciples would say, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? So they understood. Look at the disciples, the mentality. They knew that he had to leave because Jesus was saying, I have to go. I'm going to die in Jerusalem and I'm going to leave. And he says, when are you going to return? Look, that they understood the figure of the marriage, of the wedding, of a wedding in Galilee. They were understanding it perfectly. And what did Jesus say? Take, take it easy. Don't worry about when. 
that is only my father who knows. But I'm going to go. And don't worry. Because I'm going to go. And I'm going to return for you. Because I'm going to prepare a place for you. Because the young bridegroom would leave that bride's house and he would go to the father's house and he would add an additional room or prepare something and organize it for the day of the wedding. Do you remember that? John chapter 14 verses 1 to 4 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go, read this with me, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, then what? I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, that you may also be. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. The young girl knew where they were going. Where was the young man going? She knew he was going to the father's house. And what is Jesus saying to the disciples? You know where I'm going. I'm going to my father's house, but take it easy. I've already left you the dowries. And I'm going to come in the time that is indicated. It's not a question of when I'm going to come. It's a question that I am going to return and be prepared. How many can rejoice in this? Amen. Give the glory to the Lord. Amen. Clap those hands. Praise the Lord Jesus. And look in this Galilean wedding. Now, the figure of the return. The father then would only know that in his Power knew the time. The son was preparing everything there in the house of the father, organizing a new room, a new... And one day the father wakens that young person and he says, now's the time. In the least thought moment at night, before the sun came out, so it could be even early in the morning, he would say, come on. And the young person would take the shofar and his friends and their torches and they would go in a celebration playing that shofar, the trumpet, and they would get to the region of the bride and she would wake up and those that were ready and prepared would come out together with them because without the oil, nobody can come out. It was prohibited that they could get to the caravan or to the group if they didn't have their own lamp and their own oil. The father was the only one that knew. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says... But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. In the time of the Apostle Paul, the church would ask the same thing. When is Christ going to return? When is the bridegroom going to come for us, the bride? And Paul would say, I don't have a need to tell you the time. All I have to say to you is that he's going to come and he's going to come when we least expect it. When we least expecting it, he's going to return. The people continue asking that and when it is and they start to take accounts a thousand days and this, if it's a year or that and what about this week and that and the then the, the Bible doesn't say for us to take account of that. The Bible says for us to be prepared as if it was tonight, as if it was tomorrow that we'd be prepared don't take account, but start to make account of your own hearts. If you're prepared for the arrival of He, that promise that was leaving but would return, get that into your heart. It's not about anything else of when, but if you're ready or not ready for His arrival. So the bridegroom would come with his friends to the house of the bride. And remember, they would come with the shofar 
And they also went there, the young person, and because she was prepared in her dress, so the young people would put that chair, and she would sit down on it, and they would lift it up, and lift her up, it was a celebration. And then go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 17. This is a pure gospel, amen? If I die soon, or in many years, I ask that you please conserve this preaching in your hearts, that don't separate yourself from it. Here is the summary of what our doctrine is, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, inspired by or exposed in the midst of a Hebrew culture of Galilee. The weddings. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend. So when the Father says, now's the time, he says, go. So let us go for that bride. So it says that the young bridegroom brought the shofar, the trumpet. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Underline that. With the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. His church. Then we who are alive and remain, say it with me, shall be what? Caught up together with them in the, where? The clouds. In the clouds, where? To the house of the Father. To the Father's house in the cloud. The church of the Lord is going to be lifted. A figure of a wedding in Galilee. That it was a celebration. That's the church. The dead in Christ will rise first. The word of God says it. I'm not saying it, but I believe it. And it says that those that are alive shall be caught up together, floating in the air. Hallelujah. What a blessing. Imagine that you're going to be flying without an airplane. It will happen in that day. Every wedding guest should have their own lamp. And with their sufficient oil so that it would, they would be able to reach where the bridegroom lived with the father. And remember that every one of them would go on the path celebrating they would enter into the wedding. There was a celebration of seven days. There was a feast. But as soon as they got in, what did they do with the door? Shroom. And those that were like in the time of Noah, remember? That they didn't believe Noah. That he made a huge ark. That he put all the animals. And they were like, who's this crazy man? All these animals, giraffes, elephants. This guy's crazy. I can imagine the Noah's contemporary saying, and that's so strange, huh? What is that? So, he wants to be a farmer now? He got crazy? And with the chickens, with the roosters, with all the animals, one by one in pairs, seven of one, uh, pairs of others. And they thought that he was crazy. And they went in feasts and everything. That's what the Bible says that they did. And when the time finished, what did Noah do? He closed the door and it started to rain and the land started to flood. And what were the people hitting that ark? Please open up, please open up. And he had to say, sorry, I can't, I can't. The time passed of the grace. Let us see. There's something that it said that they went into a feast in the house and the feast for how many days? Seven days. That's why you see 
in Canaan uh, or Cana of the wedding of Galilea that the wine finished. That's why it's so important. It says that the wine finished and Mary asked Jesus, uh, the wine finished. Oh my God, look at this. And Jesus says to bring the jars with water and he converted it into wine because the celebration was long. And this is then now making all sense, this gospel. Those weddings are going to be long. And that number seven has a beautiful meaning because seven means seven years. Can you imagine the wedding of the lamb? Seven years? Or maybe it's not the time of tribulation on the land? When the church is take, caught up, then there's the wedding of the lamb. We're in the tribunal of Christ, the wedding of the lamb, everything there, the dead in Christ, and then those that have believed, those that have kept ourselves for the Lord, because many believe, many are going to believe, but they're not going to conserve oil in their lamps. The infilling of the Holy Spirit, they're not going to have. Why? Because they gave more appetite to their earthly things. They gave more appetite to their own agendas than thinking that it's true that Christ Jesus was going to return for his church. Remember in the time of Noah, they didn't think, they didn't believe. But when it came, then they couldn't enter. So let us read Matthew 25 and let us read continuously and with this we'll finish from verses 1 to 13 it says then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to how many virgins to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom now five of them were wise and five were foolish those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, okay, so the celebration, they're waiting that a bridegroom comes and he hasn't arrived. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, boom, 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 what was heard? A cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy... The bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door, read it loud, and the door was shut. Verse 11. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Verse, read verse 13 with me, church, wherever you may be. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. In case this is not an explanation very clear of the wedding in Galilee and how all this is associated with the arrival of Jesus Christ, the second coming. Do we have a, an excuse then, church? Or does this gospel make us fall more in love of he that came and paid a price for us and is preparing a place for us to have us eternally and promises a beautiful party? Not here. No, that that one is without money and one is broke afterwards because they they the you waste the money of the family. 
the feast with the joys of the Holy Spirit. With a celebration, I will rejoice in your presence, Lord. With all my strength, I will scream, hey, that feast. Wow. But that wedding, is there a promise for that wedding? Well, in Revelations chapter 19, verses 7 to 9 says, we're speaking about Revelation at the end times, so that no one can say, they didn't tell me. And you cannot say, they didn't tell you nor you that are watching at home. We tell you the story, and we told you a truth. Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 to 9 says, Let us be glad and rejoice. Read it with me, church, everyone, where you are. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen, is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, read in a loud voice, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. So you remember that Jesus said to his disciples, take of my cup, he said. He blessed it. And he said, take. And he shared it, and everyone drank from it. And with that, they were saying, we're accepting that you are our bridegroom, and that we are your bride, your beloved. It's a figure, a typology. And Jesus said some words. I will not drink of it again until when? When I come and I have it in the house of my father. So there's another supper in the marriage of the lamb there's a celebration and he will the fruit of the vine he will take it with us how many of us can give that glory to he who lives amen do you receive this word today amen blessed be the lord and allow me to finish with this marriage is a holy institution listen well and listen all that are home and all that are married here and those that are remarried and listen and those that want to re re remarry Be careful because they have erased, listen well, they have erased in one way or another what is the holy institution of matrimony. They've erased it. In one way, the culture has been forgetting about it. They've gone forgetting, forgetting. Now there's no commitment. Now there's vanity. There's not a desire to separate myself for a man. There's no desire for to separate myself for a woman. There's a disorderly passion of appetites, pure sex, pure lust, surely, or need of maintaining or sustaining. But they lost the figure that I'm going to take care of myself for one. There's a thought that an earthly feast, there's a thought of an appearance, there's a thought of many things, but not of that I make a commitment, that I commit myself to guard myself and keep myself. And outside of that, think who's interested 
and that the figure of matrimony be even more destroyed and says to the people, go and live together. You don't have a need to get married. First, go and live for a season to see if it goes well for you. To see if you are understand one another. And who says that the matrimony is understood? Matrimony is that I made a commitment. And I made a decision. Because if I understand, then, then comes the pre-matrimony, which is a courtship. So you can see the quality of a person, their lifestyle. And in that time, because if you give time, they're going to only show something that is nice. That person that calls you six hours a day, <laughs> the man, the woman that she does everything nice. She got married because of charisma. But you have to understand and learn the character of the person, the good and the bad. When there's money, when there's COVID-19, when there's no money, when there's nothing to see what happens. So then the people are said, go, live together. And there, the famous, you know, trial of love. And do you want to, and you know, it was one of the ways in that time that some did, but it was condemned by the law. So then they had prematrimonial relationships before the marriage, before the commitment. And when you have that prematrimonial relationship, they put such a veil here that is so great, they don't see anything. They lose the plans, they lose the honor of the mother and father, they lose everything. And add to that even worse, that there's someone very interested in saying that matrimony is not between a man and woman. But it's that between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. Two men, two women, between a woman and a dog, between a man and a tree, because now they're adding all that. All of that exists. So it's almost like there's someone that's very interested in destroying the figure of the marriage, because if he destroys it, he takes away that cultural part that allows us to understand Christ. Are you with me? He takes away, and we have to have a supernatural effort, a lot of ways to, to be able to reintroduce that teaching so at least one can grab onto a part. At least God in His mercy calls us foolish and, and shows us little by little. That's, I say, as a public announcement for those that want to get married. Wait. Wait. Stop choosing. Oh, she looks so nice and how they sing nice and this. Oh. Stop choosing by your eyes. Wait for a while. Pray. But I want to get into the last part here. It's not about if Christ or when Christ will come. It's about whether you are prepared for Christ's arrival. Young people, are you prepared for Christ's second coming? Men, women, are we prepared? There, where you are, are you prepared? Are you keeping yourself in purity for Him? Because we take the Lord's Supper because we take the bread, we go into baptismal waters, we sign the contract. We accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, but as the Lord. 
Have you accepted him as your Lord? Does he run? Because the one that is in charge, he's saying, separate yourself, sanctify yourself. My beloved brothers and sisters, that that moment doesn't take us, that we don't then have the oil in our lamp. That richness of the spirit in the heart. Please stand and let us pray to be dismissed. Please lift your hands where you are, and including the ministers, wherever you are, at a moment in your house, lift your hands. As all of us are here, are believers. Today, I want to direct myself to those that are not present here, but in their places, at home, watching. God is seeking you. God is finding you. And God wants to give you one as a bridegroom whose name is Jesus. What are you going to do? Are you going to accept him? Are you going to reject him? If you accept him, he gives you something. The guarantee of the spirit so that you're not alone, so that he could comfort you, strengthen you, so that you have security. And he promises that he goes to prepare a place for you. That if you pass from the living of the land, you have an eternal dwelling place. And where he is, that we will be with him. Today is the good day to accept Jesus Christ. If you want to accept Jesus Christ, there in your house, you could say, or where you are, and say, Lord Jesus, today, I recognize that I'm a sinner, but I understand that by grace, you seek me today. I accept the invitation of being your bride, your beloved, Christ Jesus. And today I commit myself to save myself for you. And I receive the promise of eternal life and that you will come back for me. Thank you for purifying me with your love. Thank you because you washed me with the precious blood that you poured out on the cross because with it you have bought me help me to be faithful to you while I'm on this land if you made that prayer I think you go from death to life but then I ask you to all of us that are here and those that are watching that have been converted to Christ the question is this how much are you saving yourself for the Lord and if Christ was to come tonight how would he find you are you going to continue being doing this of a religion? Or are you going to take it like a true relationship? And today I invite you, put oil to that heart, to that lamp. Get in with God. Fill yourself more of the Holy Spirit so that he strengthens you in the bad day and tells you how to live the life while you're here. Take advantage. Father, we give you thanks for this time. Thank you for this for your word. And Lord, I, I bless this whole congregation that's present and those that are watching. And I ask you, God, that this gospel is not erased, that this figure stays recorded in their hearts so that when they go through the scripture, they can get happy with the truth that what you say there, like the disciples that were assured and convinced because it was their culture. Today, we learned it so that it'd be ours, Lord. And we can understand that what is true wasn't the wedding of Galilee, but the wedding of the Lamb, which is you, Christ Jesus. 
which is just a shadow to teach humanity. Thank you, Christ. And I bless this people with the blessing of you, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the church of the Lord says, Amen and Amen. Do you receive that word? Then give glory to God if you receive that. Praise God. Clap those hands where you are. And may God bless you all. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We invite you to look for us in the social networks such as Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Search under the name Dios de Pactos Florida. We hope this message has edified you. And please share with others. Have a wonderful day.